This is the Notorious Bakersfield Podcast. I'm Robert Peterson, the host and creator of this podcast that takes a look back at some of Bakersfield's most notorious crimes, events, and characters. The earthquake and subsequent fires that devastated so much of San Francisco in 1906 displaced a lot of that city's population. Many people whose homes were destroyed chose to relocate. They migrated from the city by the bay in search of jobs and housing in communities unaffected by the natural disaster. Some even found their way here to Bakersfield. One of those individuals was Charles Burnell. Burnell had relatives here and had worked on a ranch in Tehachapi two decades prior. So he was familiar with the Bakersfield area. Once he arrived here in Bakersfield, it didn't take long for Burnell to make a name for himself. He made headlines in Bakersfield's newspapers for an altercation he had with his brother-in-law. Altercation where Burnell was slightly wounded. Two months later, Charles Burnell made headlines again. But this time, it was for cold-blooded murder. This is The Heroic Wife. As I talked about on an earlier episode of this podcast, the episode about outlaw Jim McKinney titled Wild West Shootout, Bakersfield had a reputation for being a rough and tumble town in the early 1900s. The seedy hotels and saloons that line 19th Street helped perpetuate that reputation. One hotel saloon on 19th Street that didn't have such a bad reputation was the Commercial Hotel. It sat on the southeast corner of 19th and M Streets. It's long gone. The building that occupies that corner is the burned-out Mission Hotel. But in the early 1900s, that's where the commercial hotel was located. The proprietor of that establishment was a well-known and highly respected man named George Bellomini. Accounts published in the Daily Californian stated that the commercial hotel wasn't like those other hotels on 19th Street. According to the newspaper, officers very rarely had any problems at the commercial hotel. Mr. Bellomini was a native of Italy. He'd been a resident of Bakersfield for 14 years. Before owning the commercial hotel, he operated a boarding house. Sometime around 1902 or 1903, George Bellomini visited France where he met and fell in love with a young lady named Zoe. They got married and George brought his new bride back to Bakersfield. George and Zoe worked as a team side by side operating the commercial hotel and saloon. How the Daily Californian described the hotel was exactly what you'd see in an old TV western like Gunsmoke or The Rifleman. There was a wooden sidewalk in front with posts for securing horses. 
and the entrance have those swinging saloon-style doors that are seen in every Western movie ever made. I need to note here, the Bellamini name is a familiar name in Bakersfield. I don't think George was related to any of the Bellamini's we know today. I may be wrong about that, and if I am, I'm sure a listener will correct me. In September of 1906, George Bellamini hired a man who migrated here from San Francisco. His name was Charles Burnell, or better known as Charlie. George hired Charlie as a waiter for the saloon. Charlie had experience in the restaurant and catering business in San Francisco. Charlie also had a tendency to drink while he was working, often overindulging. When Charlie was inebriated, he became surly and rude, even to saloon customers. The night of September 30th, 1906, was one of those occasions. After receiving multiple complaints about the drunken waiter, George Bellamini had enough. As a matter of fact, Charlie Burnell had been drinking for several days and nights straight. On that Sunday night at about 15 minutes to nine, with the commercial hotel's saloon bustling, George summoned Charlie to the saloon's bar. He informed his drunken employee that he'd have to let him go. He was being fired. George handed Charlie the wages he was due. Charlie began cursing. He took the cash with one hand and pulled a knife out with the other. He stabbed at George, but George grabbed the arm. Zoe Bellamini, George's wife, noticed the commotion at the bar. The petite woman wearing a pink dress rushed between the two quarreling men. In a heavy French accent, Zoe yelled at Charlie. You cannot touch my husband, she said. With her fists in a ball, Zoe began accosting the inebriated man. She told Charlie to leave her husband alone and to leave the bar at once. Charlie went behind the bar to ask the bartender to borrow his pistol. The bartender refused. Charlie hastily left the establishment. He walked down 19th Street towards L Street. Most everybody at the saloon that night thought they'd seen the last of Charlie Brunel for the night. Everyone except Zoe. She was worried for her husband's safety. She tried talking him into notifying the law to have Charlie arrested. But George was too nice of a guy. He said Charlie was just drunk and mad and didn't mean anything by it. Zoe was right. Charlie Burnell wasn't finished. About 15 minutes after that first assault, while George and Zoe were in the back of the saloon talking to patrons, Charlie appeared in the doorway. This time he wasn't armed with a knife. He held in his hand a twenty-two caliber Colt revolver. He raised the weapon and squeezed off around. It missed George. Zoe screamed at her husband to run. George ran behind the bar. As he was running, Charlie fired two more shots. This time, a bullet grazed George's shoulder. George made his way to the saloon doors. Zoe grabbed a hold of him 
and pulled him through the doors. He fell to the wooden sidewalk. Thinking her beloved husband was mortally wounded, Zoe jumped on top of him. She straddled his body as he laid there. Zoe was crying hysterically. She thought her husband was dead. Charlie Burnell, with the smoking gun still in his hand, walked behind and past the two on the sidewalk. When Charlie reached M Street, within earshot of the couple, Zoe's mournful cries echoed up and down 19th Street. A crowd poured out of the commercial hotel and other establishments in the vicinity. As Zoe was straddling her husband, he flinched and grimaced in pain. To Zoe's relief, her husband wasn't dead. Zoe was overcome with joy. She shouted, He's not dead! He's not dead! Zoe softly wept and thanked her Lord. When Charlie heard Zoe exclaim that her husband wasn't dead, he turned around. He walked back to where the couple was on the sidewalk. He walked up behind Zoe, still straddling her husband's waist, holding the pistol just inches from Zoe's ear, but pointing it directly at George's chest, Charlie fired. Zoe threw her skirts up over her husband's face and covered his body with hers, desperate to shield George from another gunshot wound. The petite wife attempted to place as much of her body between her husband and his assailant. Charlie squeezed the trigger again. This time, the bullet missed George's head by an inch. With that final shot, Charlie Burnell took off running down M Street with citizens in pursuit. The ruckus drew the attention of lawmen in the area. The sheriff and a deputy and two Bakersfield constables joined the chase. Charlie Burnell fled down an alley. He took refuge in a woodshed a few blocks from the crime scene. As officers began surrounding the shed, Burnell ran to a private residence and attempted to enter the home. The door was locked. The murderer was cornered. With guns drawn, the officers advanced towards Burnell. He walked to the stairs and surrendered. The escorting officer asked Charlie what he was thinking killing a man. Charlie asked, he's dead? When George Blomini's death was confirmed to him, Charlie broke down sobbing. When doctors arrived on scene, Zoe Blomini was still clinging to the lifeless body of her husband. The doctors had to persuade Zoe to stop caressing his face. They needed to take him inside the hotel for examination. When Zoe stood up, her pink dress was splattered with her husband's blood. Once the body was inside, the doctors confirmed death, most likely caused by a single bullet through the heart. The coroner was summoned and George Bellomini's body was removed to the mortuary for an autopsy. The saloon was cleared and the doors were locked. 
Witnesses to the events that night all describe Zoe's efforts to protect her husband from his deranged killer as heroic. The day after the tragedy, Zoe gave an interview to a Californian reporter. Even the following day, she was still wearing the same blood-splattered dress. In her thick French accent, Zoe detailed exactly what led to the murder of her husband. After the autopsy, the casket containing George Bellamini's body was brought back to the commercial hotel. There it laid in repose until the funeral two days later. The day of the funeral, pallbearers carried the casket from the hotel to St. Francis Church. The widow was heavily veiled and supported by one of George Bellamini's brothers. George's other brother, was working in a remote location and couldn't be immediately notified of his death. It was reported that Zoe Bellamini held up remarkably well during the funeral ceremony at the church, but broke down in tears at Union Cemetery. Friends expressed concern for Zoe's well-being. They claimed she hadn't slept or eaten since her husband's killing. As for Charlie Burnell, he claimed self-defense. He did this through newspaper interviews he gave from his jail cell and subsequently during his criminal trial. But that defense failed to sway the opinions of any of the 12 jurors. Charles Burnell was found guilty for the first-degree murder of George Bellamini. During the sentencing phase of the trial, all but one juror voted to impose the death penalty. However, the jury voted unanimously for a life sentence. According to newspaper accounts, after serving 17 years, Charlie Burnell briefly escaped from Folsom Prison. Even though he managed to make it 16 miles from the prison, his freedom was brief. He was captured the day after he escaped. Burnell died in Folsom Prison in 1927. His cause of death was cirrhosis of the liver. He is buried at the prison cemetery. If you're like me, you're probably wondering what became of Zoe Bellamini, George Bellamini's widow. In an interview she gave the Californian after her husband's death, she stated she was going to return to her native country. She had no desire to remain in Bakersfield without her beloved husband. But I could never verify if she did move back to France. Resources used to research this story, The Daily Californian, The Bakersfield Morning Echo, and findagrave.com. This is Robert Peterson. Thank you for listening to this episode. I'll be back next week, next Tuesday, with another Notorious Bakersfield story. Until then, stay safe, stay out of trouble, don't become a future episode of the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. I'll see you back next week.